Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash, and you're listening to episode 176 of Chat Disney. Welcome back to another episode of the Chat Disney podcast and our final week of the Chat Disney food and wine month. I'm really sad that it's come to an end already. So this week we will be talking about our dream Disney dining experience. So do stay tuned to find out exactly what that involves. But before we get into that, let's have a quick look at what's been happening in the world of Disney this week. So first off, big news, just to start off by saying a huge congratulations to Bob Sangwell for guessing bakery in our competition to win the Anyone Can Cook candle by the Maple and Whiskey Company. So well done, Bob. That candle will be on its way in the post to you very shortly. And just to mention that all Chat Disney listeners can enjoy an exclusive 10% discount off of Maple and Whiskey candles with the code Mercedes10. So make sure you check their candles and content out. Yes, definitely do that. And now a little bit of parks and resorts news for you all. BB-8 has returned to Hollywood Studios. That's right. So lots of meet and greet characters are back at Disney parks and resorts all over the world. I've never met BB-8. I would absolutely love to. So I'm very excited about this. There's also a new car locator feature that's available on the My Disney Experience app. Now, if you're anything like me, I am that person that will park in a car park and just completely forget where my car is. So the whole point of this app is that when you park up at any Disney park or resort at Walt Disney World, you'll be able to really easily navigate and locate your car in the car park using the My Disney Experience app. I think this is a really cool bit of tech and lots of people will benefit from this. And I mentioned meet and greet returning to Magic Kingdom and and Walt Disney World in general, but sticking with Magic Kingdom, Aladdin and Jasmine, Snow White and Peter Pan have all returned to the Magic Kingdom and they are available for meet and greet. This is fantastic news. Peter Pan is sort of roaming around in Fantasyland. Aladdin and Jasmine are by the magic carpets. Big, big love for this bit of news. The world is restoring. Another bit of Walt Disney World news, and this one actually applies to Walt Disney World and Disneyland in California, and that's that the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique cast members will now be called Fairy Godmothers Apprentices. So they used to be called Fairy Godmothers in training, but they're now the Fairy Godmothers Apprentices. And the reason why they've changed the name, it's a very subtle change, but it's in an attempt to be more inclusive and more gender neutral. So obviously, A fairy godmother in training has female, she, her connotations, whereas a fairy godmother's apprentice could be somebody who identifies as any gender and any pronoun. And final bit of news for you all with regards to Walt Disney World. And I didn't think I'd be saying this on the Chat Disney podcast, but there was a brawl that broke out in the Magic Kingdom, a big family feud. I don't know if you've seen this one, Tash, on social media. There's a video, many videos, because it was probably the most exciting thing that happened at the Magic Kingdom this week. It is two families, and you can see it's two families, because unfortunately, they've all got those matching t-shirts on. And I don't know what prompts the fight, but there's a huge fight that takes place outside Peter Pan's flight. Now, I try not to laugh, because it isn't a, you know, it's a serious matter and 
there you can hear children sort of screaming and crying in the audio because lots of onlookers are understandably quite distressed it's it's a proper physical I think the word brawl is is not overestimating it's a proper physical altercation I don't know what happened after the fight I assume both parties were removed from the park and probably got like a lifetime ban but um yeah if you've not seen this (laughs) check it out on social media I've definitely not seen this. I'd love to know what that started over. You've got the last pair of Mickey ears or something. Who who knows? <laughs> Heading over to our local park, uh, Disneyland Paris, for some news. And unfortunately, there are some rumours flying around that Galaxy's Edge has been cancelled. Now, this will obviously come as a huge disappointment to a lot of people, myself included, as a non-Star Wars fan, because Galaxy's Edge in Florida is amazing. So that would be a real shame if that rumour does become true. And Adventures Campus has officially opened. So if you are heading to Disneyland Paris anytime soon, then make sure you do get yourself there to check it out. Yeah, I'm gutted that it wasn't open when I went at the beginning of this year. But hey, I know that I'll be going to Disneyland Paris again in the future. So I'm very excited to check that out. And sticking with the theme of Marvel and rumours, actually, another rumour is that the Fantastic Four cast, so brand new Fantastic Four cast, will be revealed at the D23. So I'm so excited that we've got another D23 coming this year. We haven't had one since pre-COVID times, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of really exciting Disney announcements that take place at the conference, and this will just be one of many. And another bit of Marvel news for you all, Spider-Man Remastered is now the second best-selling game on Steam, which is a pretty amazing feat. I didn't even know that this was a thing. I... I'm a bit of a gamer myself, but I mean, I'm not cool. I play like PC games like The Sims and stuff like that. So yeah, I guess if you're a big Xbox, PlayStation fan, you probably know about Spider-Man Remastered. If not, definitely go check it out because it's the second most popular game. There we go. And uh, some general news for you this week as well. So former Mouseketeer Mickey Rooney has died at age 77. Now, Mickey Rooney voiced Oswald the Lucky Rabbit for a period. He also voiced Todd in The Fox and the Hound, Sparky in Lady and Tramp 2, and he also appeared in the 2011 Muppets movie. So uh, respect to you, Mickey Rooney. And uh, a bit of an interesting one, Disney Doll Whip Day, which um, is something that I haven't come across before. I don't know if this is a new thing but that was celebrated last week on 21st of july and parks and resorts were celebrating this across social media there we are national disney doll whip day who knew that that needed to be a thing (laughs) and final bit of news for you all this week It is Star Wars news, of course, and there's a new show, Skeleton Crew, which will be starring Jude Law coming to Disney+. Plus. Big Jude Law fan, so I'm super curious about this one. And the rumours are that it will have a larger budget than even The Mandalorian. And we've seen lots of really exciting Disney Plus series around the sort of Star Wars universe. And the most recent of which was, of course, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And at the end of today's episode, I am going to be doing a bit of a review around the series and letting you know my thoughts and opinions about it now that it's finished. And hopefully you've all had enough time to catch it it up with it, up with it. I can't talk. I think it's time for me to hand over to you, Tash, now for the main part of today's episode, which is our dream Disney dining experiences, I think. But, you know, I'm just, I'm just waffling. So yeah, Tash, take it away.
today, as Mercedes correctly said, we are talking about our dream Disney dining experience. And this is not our dream Disney dining experience in the terms of what we would make our dream experience from an existing experience. I'm also now losing my way of explaining things. But instead, rather our suggestion for a new restaurant or dining experience at a Disney park. So we've both got three each. I'm really excited to see what we each have. You might remember that we did this, I think it was in an episode last year, where we did our dream Disney rides and we came up with three Disney attractions that we would like to see in Disney parks. So this is in a similar vein to that. So Mercedes, do you want to kick us off with your first dream Disney dining experience? Not really. I mean, when we did the rides last year, yours were considerably better than mine. So I I feel like I've got a lot, um, you know, of creativity to get across in today's episode. But anyway, there we are. My first idea, probably my strongest of the three ideas, and I something in my gut tells me this might be one of your ideas as well. So I apologize in advance if if it is. But I have this idea of a Princess Tiana Bayou restaurant. Now, let me explain. So we know that Splash Mountain in Walt Disney World and Disneyland is getting a new reimagining and overlay. It's going to be Tiana's Bayou Adventure. Why not use this as an opportunity? There's a lot of controversy around Splash Mountain, which we do not have time to get into today. That is not the purpose of today's episode. That's another episode for a a later date. And so why not kind of, you know, quieten the crowds by not only doing a fantastic job of the overlay and the reskin, but also adding to the attraction. So I think it would be really cool if Splash Mountain had that sort of in and out restaurant experience that we see in Pirates of the Caribbean, where the boats go round the restaurant. And I think that that could work really well in Splash Mountain. There is definitely the space, I would guess. I mean, there's that scene at the end currently with that big white boat with all of the different animal animatronics on it. Surely you could fit a few tables there. I mean, I'm not quite sure where the kitchen and everything's going to go, but you know, that can be addressed at a later date. I'm not an Imagineer, right? I'm just the ideas person in this example. So I think inject a little bit of that Pirates of the Caribbean, Blue Bayou, Blue Lagoon, Captain Jack's, depending on which park you're in, that spirit, pump it into Tiana's Bayou adventure. It might not work in Disneyland because the Blue Bayou is literally called the Blue Bayou and it's in Pirates of the Caribbean, but fine, whatever. Let's not get into that. That's the idea. It's a Tiana-inspired Bayou restaurant. Their boats go round and the food, the most important part, we're looking at beignets, we're looking at mint juleps, we're looking at Creole cuisine, we're looking at gumbo, we're looking at all that good stuff that we see in New Orleans, that South American hearty cooking that they're very good at in Orlando as well. So again, another reason why this would really lend itself to Walt Disney World, biscuits and gravy, you know, that proper, what else do they have? They have cornbread, they have chicken and waffles, all all that good Southern American comfort bayou cuisine. And I'm imagining, you know, lanterns, kind of Shea Remy style lanterns, like oversized lanterns, because obviously, you know, you're shrunk down to the size of a frog as well. I forgot to mention that part, because obviously when Tiana's in the bayou, she is a tiny, tiny frog. So I'm imagining big willow trees, huge light bulbs, you know, Evangeline up in the sky with Ray, a nice starry night sky. I'm getting carried away now. I can tell from Tasha's facial expressions. Anyway, that's the idea. 
Yeah, I I do really love this idea. Um, I did think of it, but I didn't go into a lot of detail with my thought on it. Um, I don't know why I came up with some other ideas as well, but no, I do really like this and I did think of it. I think it's a great idea and definitely something that I can see them doing. But wasn't there suggestions or aren't they meant to be implementing a restaurant like this already? Or did I completely imagine that? Or are they turning something into a Tiana's place? I think that's why I didn't go any further with it because I thought they were already doing it, but I could be completely wrong. Maybe it's something we've discussed before. <laughs> no, you're not completely wrong. I wondered if we'd discussed it before. So there is a Tiana's place on the Disney cruise line, but this is Tiana's place that we see in the movie. So this is Tiana in that really gorgeous flapper dress with the headband and, you know, jazz. It's like a swinging supper club. That's how they describe it. And it's very French quarter. It looks really amazing. The food looks very similar to what I was describing. You can see that there's dancers and they're wearing like Mardi Gras kind of paraphernalia. They've got like the purple, the yellow and the green costumes of the beads and the masks. So very reminiscent of like the Port Orleans hotel that we have in Walt Disney World where Mardi Gras is front and center. And you can see there's a live jazz band on stage. So in answer to your question, you're not wrong, Tash. There is a Tiana's place, but my idea is like a swamp. <laughs> Quite different then. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, Tash, I, I'm very excited. What have you got as one of your picks for your dream Disney dining experiences? So mine is based on a movie, one of my favourite movies that I also used in the, the ride edition of this episode. Um, and it's actually for a cuisine that I do not like. So I was thinking about one of my favourite Disney Pixar movies, Monsters, Inc., and how we could incorporate that into food. And I thought Harryhausen's, you know, that dining restaurant that is really impossible to get a reservation for. Why don't we bring that to Disney parks? Harryhausen's? Exactly. <laughs> Offer people a taste of sushi. So I'm bringing Harryhausen's. Um, this is not a main park dining experience. This is sort of your California Adventure Hollywood Studios um, kind of thing. And it would be sushi. Obviously, we spoke last week. I do not really like sushi, but I feel there's a lot that you could do with it. So one idea for it I had, you could use green food coloring to dye the rice. And then you could create the shape of Mike Wazowski with a bit of, you know, cucumber sushi in the middle for the eyeball. I think it would be really good. I think you could do a lot of stuff like that. And, um, you know, monster shaped footprints, different things, loads of things like that. Um, on your way into the restaurant, obviously, you know, humans are not allowed into the monster world. So there would be a thing where you would have a little computer and you would answer a series of questions about yourself. And then it would give you a brand new monster identity so that when you go in, you know, you have to play the part of, of this monster. You're not you. Anymore. <laughs> um, you are whoever as a monster and you get given a little picture and a new name. And that's like your identity card. Yeah. I love it. And then instead of, you know, in your classic, typical sushi restaurant where you have the kind of rotating conveyor belt of sushi coming around, instead we're going to have, I don't know his name, but that big octopus chef, he's going to be in the middle and at the end of each eight tentacle is a tray because then his body kind of revolves around the restaurant and then you take your food from the end of one of his tentacles instead so uh yeah that's my uh that's my suggestion and as well I think that you know a lot of people would say like oh sushi maybe that's not particularly kid friendly but this is my way of getting kids 
interested in sushi by making it monster themed and you know we could have things like miso soup with eyeballs in it and stuff like that to make it a bit more interesting and a bit more kid friendly so um yeah I'm not a fan of sushi but I would go and have this dining dining experience as a huge fan of Monsters Inc. I love this this is the best idea I think you've ever had ever I love it I think it's amazing I am a big fan of sushi and I can't remember if I told you this or not I think I probably have and probably on the podcast apologies for beating myself I'm getting into my 30s now it's my age I rewatched Monsters Inc recently and just completely forgot how good it is and just really appreciated it like I never have before and I totally understand why it's one of your favorites I think when I was a kid maybe some of the humor went over my head a bit I don't know but anyway watched it with fresh eyes absolutely love it love the idea of Harry Housen's this octopus creature we're thinking like an animatronic yes yes a giant animatronic nice yeah each tentacle so he he kind of revolves in the restaurant and then yeah Yeah. food is on each tray I mean and you it's, take on the revolving conveyor belt. Yeah, he, for me, like when I think about that Harry Housen scene, he's the most memorable, iconic element. So absolutely needs to appear at the restaurant. While you were talking, you were giving me so many ideas as well. And you were talking about the food. I was like, oh, you could have little green mochi balls that look like Mike Wazowski as well. And something I did think, but it was just a very like fleeting thought. And I'm not quite sure how it would work and also it would be not authentic to the Harryhausens that we see actually in the movie but there's got to be something to you know that sushi convey about which is just so synonymous with sushi restaurants and the doors like there has to be some sort of link I feel that, that I, I don't know what it is and as I say it wouldn't be authentic to the restaurant in the movie but like the conveyor belt of doors and the conveyor belt of sushi like I just I, I don't know yeah so like each what I'm picturing is that whole scene with the doors at the end and instead like each each bowl has like a door it's like attached to a mini door that comes like flying past you does oh that my make God. Sense? it does make sense and I've got a really good idea actually now now that you say that of how they could do it so I love your idea of this orange octopus guy with the bandana. Like we all know who he is. And the animatronics also got some knives and stuff in some of the other tentacles, you know, like chopping things, whatever. Love that. That's the centerpiece. And that's where you can pick things off the conveyor belt. Love. Maybe there's like a window on a wall and it's meant to be like the kitchen. And that's where you can see all the dishes like flying around like the doors, but it's like behind the scenes. Yes, love this. Yes, yeah. This is again, we need someone from Disney to be listening to these episodes because these are great ideas. You're getting them for free. I mean, it's just yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, cool. Well, we're off to a strong start. So, Mercedes, what's your second idea? So, my second idea is not as strong as our first two. I mean, you can't compete with Tiana's Bayou Swamp and a Monsters Inc. Harryhausen's. Um, I'm going to lower the tone a little bit. This is just a really basic one for me. I feel very passionately about it. It's not my dream Disney experience, but it's a Disney experience that is severely lacking from my life. Now, I want you to imagine that you are in the France Pavilion in the World Showcase in Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. You've got that amazing Parisian air, 
the music. You've got the new creperie that's just opened. You've got the little gelato place where you can get the brioche ice cream sandwiches. You've got your Chef de Paris, this like flagship French restaurant that does this amazing French cuisine. Life is good. Life is happy. You can even get frozen rosé. Then we have Disneyland Paris and wow, the bar is low. And now I know that food at Disneyland Paris is controversial. Food is not its strength, even though it's the literally culinary capital of the world. And my expectations are low. All I would like in Disneyland Paris is a patisserie. And I know this seems so basic, like the world is my oyster here. I could choose any like wild Disney dream experience that I have. But I want on Main Street USA an authentically French patisserie where you can go in, you can buy French stick for like three euros. You can do this in in the French Pavilion in Walt Disney World. You can literally buy a baguette for like $5 or something. I want to be able to go in and get freshly baked bread, freshly made macarons, pastries, like proper pastries that have been cooked that morning, not like Disney cookies that have been left in a wrapper and have like four sprinkles on them. Proper French patisserie so that you can go in in the morning and have some breakfast. And I do appreciate that in the setting of Main Street USA, maybe that's a little bit jarring. So this kind of leads to a larger project, which isn't just about food. I think that Main Street USA and Disneyland Paris needs to be reimagined and have a bit more of a French flair, a bit like how there's more sort of Chinese elements in Shanghai Disney of some of the roofing and like the little tea shop. I think they should like make an effort to make Main Street USA a bit more Parisian. And if that's not possible, we have that lovely Parisian area in Walt Disney Studios where the Ratatouille attraction is. And we often see Belle and Gaston sort of walking around that area, put the patisserie there. But we need good French cuisine in Disneyland Paris. And I think it all starts with an authentically French patisserie. I mean, great idea. And I think sometimes simple ideas are the best ideas. And it begs the question that why is this not already a thing? It's so simple and so obvious and straightforward, but it doesn't exist. And I think that it would be so easy for them to implement and could really pick that area of Disneyland Paris up a lot. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, who doesn't want to just like be able to grab some bakery item when you're walking around the park? It's so quick. It's so simple and easy that I think that, yeah, it's an opportunity that they are just completely missing here. Yeah, especially now that you don't get breakfast included, like we need more breakfast items. And at the moment, the best option is Starbucks. Are they really saying that as Disneyland Paris, they can't compete with Starbucks for bakery goods. Like, come on. So that's what I would like to see. If we're injecting a bit of Disney into it, it would be cool to see like, I don't know, a Marie bread or some other French character if they so wish. But I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it needs to be super Disney-fied or, you know, overly complicated. Just a decent French patisserie. Absolutely. Now, I think you've got it spot on there. So, um, yeah, great shout. Um, my next idea is is a bit of a weaker one as well. Um, it's a quick dine option. Again, 
definitely not my dream dining experience. I probably wouldn't go there. Maybe if I was going with my son when he's a little bit older, but if I was going there as, you know, an adult couple, I probably wouldn't go there. Um, But it's called House of Mouse. And it is, of course, based on those old episodes of House of Mouse. So what we're thinking here is kind of a space. I mean, I don't know what you would call that kind of setup. It's kind of, again, that kind of lounge jazzy bar vibe so you've got lots of tables they often have like their own little lamp on them don't they um so it'd be that kind of setup and then in front of you you'd have a stage and on the stage you'd have a screen and you would have old episodes of house of mouse playing or mickey mouse shorts whichever way you wanted to to do it either could be an option um and occasionally we could turn it into a character dine as well or not really a character dine in this sense because it is a quick dine option here um but maybe mickey and minnie and the pals could you know come onto the stage and, and wave hello a few times a day and, and if you're there and just happy to be lucky enough to catch them then that's great um, but yeah, type of food we're thinking, we're thinking very, very easy, very generic, you know, burgers and fries, chicken nuggets. There would obviously be a veggie option, that sort of thing. Um, very family friendly, very popular with kids. Great, I think, for adults, you know, if you are with your kids and you're getting a bit tired and you just want to kind of go somewhere, cool, air conditioned, quiet for you know, 45 minutes, an hour or so, then this is the place for you to go. You can just sit down, your kids can watch some episodes of House of Mouse for a bit and um, yeah, take your mind off things, have a bit of a bit of a break. So that's my my second suggestion. I love that idea. And it begs the question, why didn't they do this with Cafe Mickey? I mean, Cafe Mickey is actually closed permanently now and it's going to be, I think it's just like a generic Italian restaurant. I don't really understand the logic or the thought process behind that, but even still, and we see this idea of like the screen with cartoons running to sort of entertain kids. We do see that. I'm thinking about like Videopolis in Disneyland Paris in Discoveryland. Like they definitely have it there where there's that big screen that's literally so that kids can sort of watch cartoons while they're eating their food. I really like this idea and, you know, it's brilliant having it as a character dine because that is when we think about House of Mouse, that was what I loved watching it or why I loved watching it when I was a kid. It was that moment of like, oh, who's going to be in this episode? Who am I going to see? That was what made it really exciting. So yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I do think that Disney are starting to revisit a lot of kind of 90s and early noughties references because us millennials are now going back to the parks with our children and having families of our own. And so I think it would fit really well into their sort of wider strategy. Yeah, thank you. And I think as well that you saying, you know, what you did just then about the characters, you could even go in there and you could see, you know, Rapunzel and Flynn Rider sitting down having a meal or having a drink together and kind of interacting with people around them quite loosely. And then another time you go in and maybe you see Ariel and Eric sat down at a table. So there's lots of ways that you could incorporate character dining into it. Yeah, definitely. It doesn't have to just be that kind of standard character dine experience that we're all used to. They could get really creative and have some fun with it. I think that would be awesome. Great. So before I head into my third and final Dream Disney experience today, I did want to just talk about an honourable mention that I had. And I didn't want to spend too much time on this just because Disney have attempted it before. And you know what it is from me saying that. I'm still furious that we don't have an authentic pizza planet at any of the Disney parks. It would be so 
easy to do so easy all it is is a bunch of arcade games like it's it's just not hard but instead you know the one in Disneyland Paris was pretty good it was big and it did have that kind of like dingy feeling that the one in the movie has but what made it really jarring is that there was a giant play area in there and it was Andy's bedroom and it's like but no but Andy's bedroom in this universe is Andy's bedroom. It wouldn't be a pizza planet. And there's like a giant slide of Rex. And it was like, no, but Rex is a toy in this, in this world. So that didn't quite work. And as I say, it's one of the reasons why with your Harryhausen idea, I didn't want the doors there. Cause it was like, no, in the context of the, the setting, it, it, it wouldn't be there. Right. So I want a real authentic pizza planet and we saw it in Hollywood Studios as well. Now it's Pizza Rizzo. That wasn't even, that didn't even look like Pizza Planet. And it's always that like pillowy, puffy, doughy pizza that you get at theme parks. It's always rubbish. So yeah, before I go into my final idea, I'll be a bit naughty here because I'm getting like a fourth one, but I just, I feel we need to talk about Pizza Planet. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, my husband and I were discussing this actually when I was coming up with my ideas and he suggested doing a pizza planet with authentic, you know, computer games, Game Boys, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it does beg the question that, again, it's so simple. They could literally, you know, copy, copy and paste it from the film almost. And they've missed an opportunity here again. Yeah, it's really, it's an odd one. But anyway, moving on, my third and final Disney dining experience. And I was trying to think about, you know, things in the Disney universe that make me feel really good. And what is feel good? What is current? Like, I want something new and relevant within the Disney parks. And so I came up with a casita restaurant. So this is the home from Encanto where the family Madrigal live. My idea here is Obviously, the cuisine that's going to be served is Latin American, South American food. So I'm talking about empanadas. I'm talking about tacos. I'm talking about, you know, I know that it's set in Colombia, but for the purposes of this restaurant, there's no discrimination. It's any South American cuisine or Latin American cuisine, let's say. So Mexican, Venezuelan, um, Brazilian, all those those good dishes, lots of beans, lots of rice, lots of bread, just yum, 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 all my favourites, lots of spice. So you might be thinking, well, how does this work? So the exterior is very important. It's got to look like the casita. So Disney, <laughs> you better up your architecture budget and your planning because it's got it has to look like the casita. And my idea here is that it's like an interactive kind of restaurant. So a little bit like we see with Rainforest Cafe or the T-Rex Cafe where, you know, pots and pans are moving while you're sitting down and shutters are opening and little things are happening around you. So it is this almost kind of animatronic restaurant there's lots of music. Occasionally, um, Mirabelle, Louisa and Isabella are walking around for meet and greet as well. They might even invite some of their South American friends as well. I'd love to see Miguel pop up. I know it'd be really not canon, but hey, Lilo and Stitcher are the Polynesian resort with Mickey. So I feel like it's fine. Um, and then maybe Sophia the First or Eleanor of Avalor or who else do we have? Um, Panchito and Jose or whatever they're called from Three Caballeros. So, and maybe Donald in a sombrero. I know they love whacking him out into anything slightly Latin American. So I really would love this to be <laughs> Lin Manuel. No, I'm joking. I would love this to just be a real celebration of Latino, Latina culture, food, music, characters, 
And I love those like animatronic kind of restaurants, like Rainforest Cafe, bless it. I mean, when did that come out in the 80s? You can tell those gorillas, they look like they've had a really hard life. We need a new, fresh (laughs) animatronic restaurant. I absolutely love this idea. And I think, yeah, as soon as you start talking about the interactive element of it, yeah, 100%, I can envision it. I'm there. I can see that you sitting down and kind of like the window shutters like flapping open by you and interacting or I don't know, like you press a button or something and something magical happens. Like I can envision this so much. I think that they could do so much great stuff with this and the music that they could play in this as well, the costumes, that they would wear. I think that, yeah, I, I think that this could be such a, such a great idea. And I like the idea of making a character dine as well. And again, that style of food, yum, yum, yum. One of my favorite cuisines. So I am a hundred percent going to this restaurant. Yeah. It doesn't really have a name. I guess it's just the Casita Madrigal is its name. I think that's fine. But yeah, that's my idea. I don't know where it lives. It, we're not having, I know I've just bucketed like all of the Latin American characters together and been like, it's fine. Miguel can be there, but we're not sticking this in the Mexican pavilion in the world showcase. I won't allow it. Okay. This is not going to be another Agrabah Morocco situation. This isn't Mexico. <laughs> I think it actually would lend itself really nicely to Fantasyland or even Adventureland. I'd like to see this in the Magic Kingdom as its own because it's magic, right? It's literally magic. And I think the Magic Kingdom is, don't hate me, but kind of stuck in a bit of a time warp. And I love that we got new Fantasyland in 2012, but even that was 10 years ago. So I think this would be wonderful in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, I think in Fantasyland as well, I can just see it. I think Fantasyland especially does need to incorporate some of the more modern films. I think it's lacking a little bit there. So yeah, I think whack this in there and that's your job done. Nice. And Tash, do you want to do the honours? Do you want to, I was going to say show us out. That's not the right (laughs) phrase. Wrap us up. So (laughs) my third and final idea is... Um, again a Pixar idea and it's um, the complete opposite of my first idea so my first idea obviously incorporated a lot of fish this idea incorporates fish but in a very different way because it is a plant-based fish restaurant I wanted to do something with a bit of a veggie vegan message and couldn't really think of anything original so I came up with this so it is a Finding Nemo themed plant-based fish restaurant so again this would be in California Adventure, Hollywood Studios, one of your typical parks like that. To enter this restaurant, it is underground. So you would go in, you get into a submarine, which is a lift or an elevator, which then takes you down under the sea. So you are dining under the sea. And then we have that technology again, whereby on the windows, you've got that technology so you can see fish swimming by. We've even got a bit of on the floor where you can see sharks going underneath you. And the purpose of this uh, restaurant really is basically to educate people about the alternatives to eating fish and not in a preachy way. It's not going to be, you know, encouraging people to give up all fish, but it's going to be more kind of showing you some of the alternatives so that if you want to swap out, you know, one fish meal a month here and there, these are some other options that you can do. So there'll be things like toefish, tofu, fish, toefish, seitan, jackfruit, banana blossom. Banana blossom is one of the best alternatives for fish because it is the most fishy tasting. And you'll be able to get, you know, your classic fish dish, dish, 
fish dishes. That's a hard word to say. Uh, so things like fish pie, fish and chips, which we have a lot here in the UK. And there will be kids friendly menu as well. So fish fingers, but toe fish fingers, for example. And yeah, they'll just be a little bit sort of here and there just to kind of, yeah, telling you about the ocean and how we can preserve the ocean and preserve sea life because it is something that is dying out, which is a crying shame. And I do think it's, it always struck me as odd with Finding Nemo that people, you know, love that film, but then eat the, would maybe like, I don't know, like want to then go and get a clownfish, but clownfish were then becoming extinct because so many people were buying them. So I think we just need to educate people a little bit here about how endangered a lot of species in the ocean are becoming. And uh, yes, it's an educational dining fun experience. And it's called Fish Are Friends, Not Food. Yes, there we go. I actually hadn't come up with a name for it, but there we go. You've nailed it. I mean, that's probably like the strap line. I don't know what it could be called. Uh, Yeah, but whatever. I love this idea. I think that it is blindingly obvious when you do have any kind of dietary preference that Disney are a little bit behind. But actually what's interesting is that they are doing loads of initiatives. So they do want to get better. It's an interesting one because... When I'm going to a Disney park with you, for example, or with my friend Joe, who's a vegan, I'm very mindful of it and I'm very aware, obviously. But what's fascinating, and it's still, this isn't just a Disney thing, this is just a societal thing. I had some colleagues that were going to Walt Disney World in May and they asked me for sort of dining recommendations and I sent them my ever-expanding list of places and snacks and things to eat. Didn't even ask them about their dietary requirements. I didn't say, are you veggie, vegan? Do you have nut allergies or shellfish allergies or lactose intolerant, gluten intolerant? Didn't even ask. And they came back and they'd been to a lot of the restaurants that I recommended. And their feedback was, oh, we really struggled actually because we're veggie. And a lot of them only had one vegetarian option, which was fine, but we don't want to go to a restaurant where we're being told what to eat. Basically, it kind of takes the enjoyment out of it. So I think that, perhaps because you're so aware of Disney, like you probably do do a bit of research before and you know, like, oh, this restaurant, I know that there's like, you know, a fish dish and two veggie dishes. So I've got a little bit more choice there. But certainly for people that are going for the first time and they hear these recommendations, oh, you know, you have to dine in Beast Castle, you have to go to Be Our Guest, or you must try Morimoto Asia. It's the best sushi in Orlando they get there and actually they find there's one dish on the menu that they can eat. And I don't think that's good enough. I think that Disney do need to expand their options. And whether it's this Finding Nemo inspired fish restaurant or something else, I think you've hit on something really, really important. And that's that. And I'm sure we will see this. I don't know when it will be. I don't know if it'll be five years, 10 years, when it will be. But Disney need a plant-based option that is just plant-based. Yeah, I completely, completely agree because I think they're, are so many people that are either already eating plant-based or are edging that way and a lot of people now are happy to eat it as an alternative as well so I think this would be a really great spin on it and a way to encourage people as well so yeah but I think that you do you know you make a valid point and you know as someone who is veggie um or technically pesky um it is blindingly difficult to find good alternatives in Disney parks and you're frequently off you know up against that thing where you go somewhere and you don't have a choice or your choice is something that you maybe had at you know last night's restaurant and the nights before because it's falafel or something really kind of thoughtless like I'll 
what do veggies eat falafel yeah we'll just bung them this so I think that that's the sort of thing there's a lot of repeats in a lot of these restaurants in choices for vegetarians too yeah I agree with you and I think sometimes as well it'll be so easy for them to just add another item so for example like you know we saw this with grumpy last year and last week even for be our guest where they've got like you know a pulled pork mac and cheese with onion rings why wouldn't they just do a mac and cheese with onion rings with like barbecue sauce you're literally just taking the pork out like you've got all the ingredients there but instead they just don't and it's like I can't think of another example but there's definitely examples where it's like if you just took that one ingredient out this would still work um, I'm sure you can probably, maybe you can't, maybe I'm putting you on the spot. The the chili loaded tater tots are another really good example. Could they not just have tater tots that have like a tomato, spi- a spicy tomato sauce and some melted cheese? I'd like yeah. just have that on the menu as well. Absolutely. Yeah. The tot shows in um, what did, in Woody's lunch. Yeah. Tot yeah. Is the word. yeah. Yeah. Just take, take that off and just, yeah. Potatoes with cheese and a bit of sour cream. Perfect. That's all you need. But yeah. It's, I think you do maybe, maybe some salsa as well. I feel like that sounds a bit beige. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but no, you're right. Like, I think that's what frustrates me with Disney. It's like, you can either have this amazing, like there are plant-based options, but it's like, here's this amazing, like chicken waffle sandwich with slaw and like loaded dirty fries that have bacon bits. Oh, you're veggie. Here's some tofu. Whereas it's like, no, I still would like a waffle sandwich and some loaded fries. I just don't want, you know, an animal in it, basically. Um, but no, I completely agree. And I am somebody who eats meat, but I do try and make an effort to eat less meat. I drink a lot of plant-based milks as well, which is another thing that I think everyone worldwide needs to get better at. I mean, we live in Brighton, which is like the green capital of the UK, and it still baffles me how many times I go into like a coffee shop and I'm like, do you have oat milk? And they're like, no, sorry, we only have almond. And it's like, but what if I had a nut allergy and I was a vegan? Like that just, that's not going to work. So yeah. And and you might think, well, you know, if you're a nut allergy and a vegan, I know someone who has a nut allergy and is a vegan. So it does exist. It does exist. But anyway, this is getting borderline political now. I think it's time to wrap it up. Hopefully you've really enjoyed our suggestions today. If you've got any ideas, if this has sparked any inspiration for what your picks would be for your dream Disney dining experience as ever, we would love to hear from you. You can always send us a tweet. Our Twitter is at ChatDisneyUK. Or you can find us on Instagram at ChatDisney. Tash, if you had to award one of those ideas a prize because it was the best one, which one would you pick? I like Casita Madrigal. That's my favourite. Okay, my my favourite was Harryhausen's. Oh, there we go. Well, we're yeah. so complimentary towards each other. There you go. I'd love to imagine if they just announced. Would you try and sue <laughs> if at D twenty three this year they're like we're opening a Casita Madrigal family style interactive restaurant and an authentic Harryhausen's monsters fusion of Japanese food? Would you try and contact someone? I mean, I would probably be like, we came up with the idea, but then they'd, yeah, I mean, I don't think we'd have a a leg to stand on at all. (laughs) No, No, it's not like we own (laughs) the, the IP or anything. No, I think you're probably right. 
We're now going to move on to the final part of today's episode, a dummy's guide to the Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney+. Plus. So I really wanted to talk about the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, but I wanted to wait until anyone who wanted to watch it had time to digest it because there's obviously quite a few episodes and things. I wanted it to be a place where we could talk about spoilers, but we wouldn't be ruining the fun for anyone. But more importantly, I wanted it to be inclusive for our dear pal Tash, who does not enjoy the world of George Lucas. So that's why we're doing a bit of a dummy's guide today to the Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney+. Plus. So what is a dummy's guide? I hear you cry. A dummy's guide is when said dummy, in this instance, Tash, knows nothing about a specific topic. And she tells us a little bit about what she thinks it is. And it's very entertaining for all of us in the know. We can laugh and guffaw at our wisdom and superiority of whatever the subject is on that given day. Today is Obi-Wan Kenobi. In the past, I was the dummy. It was Peach Dragon. Sometimes that is just the way it goes. So for today, Tash, Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm sure we've got lots of listeners that haven't watched the series, don't know what it is. I know that we have a lot of listeners who aren't as into Star Wars as some of the other Disney stuff. And that's fine. That's what the Dummies Guide is here for, is to navigate your world, navigate your way around the world to see if maybe it's something you might like to watch. Go, go on. The dummy gasped. Go, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> I apologise in advance because although I've watched, you know, the first six episodes of Star Wars, my memory of them is very ropey. And so some of the stuff that I say here may not be factual to these movies. I might have remembered some events in a completely opposite or wrong way. So I do apologise in advance, but that's what makes this so fun. So, okay. The Obi-Wan series. So we've got Ewan McGregor back as Obi-Wan. I think that's the only thing I'm certain of that he played Obi-Wan, at least in the original Star Wars films. Um, and so he he was he was quite good pals with, with Anakin Skywalker in the original movies before he went to the dark side and became uh, Darth Vader, the Dark Dark Lord. Is that what they call him? I don't know. Um, that's Voldemort. <laughs> that is Voldemort. You're right. Um, but anyway, he was he was good pals with him. So the Obi-Wan series shows Obi-Wan, he's back and he's, you know, fighting fit. He's older, but he's more wise this time around. And the series basically follows him as he goes to trace his old pal Anakin down and uh, have the ultimate battle with Darth Vader to get him to see the error of his ways of all those years of evil. And uh, basically to try and get him to remember who he really is. Remember who you are. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Intentional. That was intentional. Nice. Very nice. For anyone that didn't get that, Darth Vader is voiced by the brilliant Disney legend James Earl Jones, who also lends his voice to Mufasa. Very nice. There we go. Nice little tie across there for you. Um, So, yeah, so he goes and tracks him down. And along the way in each series, you know, he comes across a new villain or something that is in the way. Um, At Darth gets wind that Obi-Wan is back and he's looking for him and he knows that he wants him to 
he wants to track him down to take him back to to the good side. And Darth, you know, he's been evil for so many years. He, he's not up for this. He doesn't want this. So he sends, you know, a different villain in each episode to try, try and take Obi-Wan down. But um, Obi-Wan cannot be defeated. He's got a new um, sidekick in him in this series who is, um, I'm not quite sure, but some new creature kind of, on the same level as the child, um, quite a cute little sidekick that we've not seen before. He's a new addition to the Star Wars universe. Um, and he's, you know, a really powerful, mighty Jedi or force and helps Obi-Wan to kind of defeat all these dark forces and evil that are keeping him from from Anakin. Um, and eventually in, in the final episode, he gets to Anakin and they have the ultimate battle and then it ends on a cliffhanger. Wait and see what happens in the next series. I mean, you get a round of applause. Thank very you. accurate. Very, very, ac- like, honestly, I'm not, I'm not patronising. Really? Very, very accurate. Yes, yes. So, I mean, you've hit all of the important parts. There's a few nuances, but ultimately very, very similar to what happened. So, this is set, you're absolutely right, between episodes three and four. So the last time we saw Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi was that episode three. Anakin, you were like a brother. I loved you. I hate you. Whatever. That's the last time we saw those two together. This is like 10 years into the future. And Obi-Wan is not a fighter, older and wiser He's actually a bit of a hermit. So he's living on Tatooine because he said he was going to look after Luke, if you'll remember. So he basically just spends his days on Tatooine spying on Luke and like making sure that he doesn't get in harm's way. And that's it. He's undercover. He's changed his name to Ben Kenobi, which is the name he uses in the old, old, old series. He's an old, old Ben is what people refer to him as, right? Just some random guy. But in this series, we get a little bit of context as to why that is. So the Jedis are being killed by this Jedi squad. And you're absolutely right, Tash. They've sort of been sent by Darth Vader to find the Jedis, but more directly to find Obi-Wan, who's in hiding on Tatooine. Remember, Anakin doesn't know that he's got kids throughout all of this. But anyway, so you mentioned a cute little sidekick something or someone some sort of force has got to get Obi-Wan out of his rut and it comes in the form of an old friend General Organa and that name might ring a bell he is of course Princess Leia's adoptive father and that is because they basically the Jedi hunter people that want to find Obi-Wan take little Princess Leia as bait because they know that if Anakin's daughter is stolen and taken away for like a ransom, Obi-Wan won't be able to help himself. He'll have to come and save her. And that's exactly what happens. General Organa is like, Obi-Wan, help me, Obi-Wan. Can I be your my only hope? He comes. And this is where I cannot tell you as a Star Wars fan, Princess Leia, baby Leia, might be cuter than baby child. <laughs> and you were right. You were like, there's going to be some cute, but yes, there is. And she has a cute little robot called Lola that looks like a bee and they're just cute. And she's very sassy and she's very headstrong and she's amazing. You can see how she becomes, you know, the general when she gets older. I've now got here comes the general in my head. You can see 
how that happens. She's feminist. She's sassy. She's like not standing for anything. You can see she's already starting to question the empire and why her parents follow certain rules. Fantastic character, fantastic child actor as well. She's amazing. So this is basically the pairing we didn't know that we needed. Ewan McGregor and baby Leia, and it's their quest together. It's fantastic. And the reason that, as I say, it's so heartwarming as a Star Wars fan, and Tash, this might be a little bit beyond your memory. Can you remember, and I'm really hoping the answer is yes, episode four, so the first ever, ever Star Wars movie with Harrison Ford and Luke doesn't know who his dad is, first ever movie. Can you remember the opening scene with Princess Leia and that famous line that she has? No. So she puts a message into R2-D2 for a person. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And it's like a a hologram kind of message. It's sent and Luke finds it. Can you remember? I can remember that, but I can't remember the ins and outs of it. But that does, yeah, I remember that being a thing, but I can't remember what the message is. Okay, so the message is all about the empire, whatever. And then at the end of it, she says, and she kind of bends forward and she goes, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. That's like her thing. And it's the first thing we see in the movie. So here we are seeing her age 10 and Obi-Wan Kenobi is rescuing her from the evil people. And it's like, oh, that's why when she's a woman, she's like, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope because he saved her when she was a tiny little mini. And it's so, it's, I love it. It's just, her character was the best thing for me. Absolutely stole the show. So anyway, loads of boring, like battle stuff, whatever. And then it does end with this ultimate face-off between Anakin, who is Darth Vader now, and Ewan McGregor, but it is Hayden Christensen that's playing Darth Vader. And there's a great scene where his helmet gets like sliced in half and half of him is Darth Vader, but you can see Hayden Christensen's face all melted on the other side. And there's some really clever cinematography with like the dark and the light showing the conflict. And it's exactly what you described, Tash. Obi's like, come on, you're my brother. You could change. It's, you know, all that rubbish. And he's like, and this also really, really helps with one of the biggest plot holes in the whole Star Wars series. So Obi-Wan Kenobi tells Luke Skywalker in episode four, the first ever movie, that Darth Vader killed his dad. And then we're like, no, Luke, I am your father. And everyone's like, what? Why did Obi-Wan Kenobi like... It's definitely reverse engineered. They didn't know that Darth Vader was going to be the dad, but it doesn't fit. And also in that first movie, we see Luke and Leia kiss and then we find out they're twins. Like there's a few things that don't quite make sense and it's clearly because the writing changed direction. But this makes sense of it because when Anakin is about to walk off, he says to Ewan McGregor, because Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi feels guilty for what's happened to Anakin. And Anakin says, I killed Anakin Skywalker. So that's why, in some sort of roundabout way, when Obi-Wan says to young Luke, Darth Vader killed your father, it kind of fits. It's like, that's his way of dealing with it. And we heard Darth Vader say that. He said, I am responsible for the death of Anakin Skywalker. He doesn't exist anymore. So 
did I enjoy it? Yes. I actually preferred The Mandalorian because it was fresh and new and gave us new characters and new storylines. My favorite things about it were Baby Leia and just tying up some of those loose ends, like the <clears throat> Help Me Obi-Wan Kenobi and the I Killed Your Father and all that sort of stuff. He killed your father, Darth Vader killed your father. Obi-Wan Kenobi didn't kill anyone's father. That would be entirely different. But yeah, so I that's it really. I don't I don't know. Do you have any questions, any thoughts? No, I I think that you have described it pretty well. I'm also very proud of myself that I was fairly accurate there. I really didn't think I was gonna be. So um yeah, again, it's one of those things, it always sounds more interesting than I actually find it. <laughs> Well, maybe that means I'm a great storyteller. I'll um I'll share my screen quickly just so you can see Baby Leia. If you just do a quick Google search, if you're watching at home, you can do a little oh, she search. Is so cute. She is. She's she really is so so cute. She's really cute, and she's a really talented actress as well. How old is she? So she's actually ten, but she. I thought there's no way this kid is 10. She looks about five, but you can tell when she talks, she's quite articulate. And I actually Googled the actress's age and she's playing Leia at 10, but she is actually 10 in real life as well. But she doesn't seem 10. She seems like six. She's very petite. Yeah, she's, oh, she is gorgeous. She's really cute. She is really cute. And just the way she talks and like, you would love her. She's so great. Honestly, when the mum and the dad were coming out onto their balcony and they're like fancy palace and then they like, they would say something about, and I was like, oh my God, is it baby Leia? And I almost died. It was so exciting. And yeah, the, the chemistry between that actress and Ewan McGregor as well is just absolutely adorable and you just want him to like take her home it's just it's lovely must be so weird for like a 10 year old to be acting with someone like Ewan McGregor who is such a huge actor I mean she probably doesn't really know but it must be weird to spend that much time and have such great on-screen chemistry with someone like that yeah, I really hope that they do like stay in touch as well. I remember um, it's on Disney Plus, so I feel like we're allowed to talk about it. But Modern Family, the actress that plays Lily, she posted something recently wishing Sofia Vergara a happy birthday and was like, you were the one that bought me my first pair of heels. And I'm like, I really hope that you still stay in touch because there must be hundreds of films and TV shows where you know, you spend so much time and I think about, you know, like my goddaughter and, and Theo and, you know, my friend's kids that I have really special relationships with. And and I think about, you know, even like my mum's friends, like coming to my wedding and like how they were like, oh, you know, watched you grow up. And I, I do hope that, you know, Ewan and young Leia will, will stay in touch. I'm sure they will. I'm sure like he will probably take her under his wing a bit as a, as a mini actress and guide her and advise her I imagine he's quite wise oh yeah definitely and fun fact Ewan McGregor's daughter actually makes a cameo in the Obi-Wan series very very briefly they arrive at this like dodgy looking town and there's a girl and actually I think it's a bit of a weird scene she looks like she's had a bit of a tough life she's got like I don't know she just looks like she lives on the streets and I think he's like how old are you and I think she's a bit like I can be however old you want me to be or or maybe he's like where's your father and I don't know it's it's like an innuendo I'm pretty sure I probably completely imagine that I'm gonna have comments now from everyone like no that's not what's said but I do feel like it's a bit like 
weird. And then I found out it's his real daughter in real life. Oh, that's cute that she was in it. Well, yeah, not about the weird scene, but there we no. go. Yeah, so there we go. And we do get some new characters in this as well. There's a guy who I don't know the name of, but he's in the Marvel Eternals movie and, and he makes a, a, a an appearance. And did you ever watch that thing on Netflix, not Disney, but it was out quite recently. It was called like The Anatomy of a Scandal and it had Sienna Miller in it. No, but I, I know what you're talking about. So the guy that plays the prime minister, no, 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 not the prime minister. I don't know what he is, some sort of politician. The guy that basically plays Sienna Miller's husband in that is also in this as a new character. And there's a new female character who's got quite a leading role as well. So yeah, we get some new new Star Wars characters and some old favourites as well. Leia, her parents, Luke, his aunt and uncle, all the old gang. Lovely. How how lovely. So that pretty much concludes our dummies guide. I hope that you enjoyed it and my accuracy about Obi-Wan. And that brings us to the end of the episode as well. And the end of the Chat Disney Food and Wine Month. So we do hope that you have enjoyed this month. And we will be back next week with, you know, more regular content for you. So you can join us next week at the same time and same place. In the meantime, if you do want to get in touch with us, you can always find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Chat Disney. Or you can always send us a tweet at Chat Disney UK. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.